My name is Kyle McCaffrey, founder and lead trainer of Hero Bells, and welcome to episode 15. It can seem almost impossible to get a moment alone if you're in a city. It often feels suffocating. It really does seem that things you own end up owning you. That which you thought you were consuming could be consuming you. In this time, especially does this ring true. Mobile phones really are a bottleneck to a Niagara Falls of information. <clears throat> the words unprecedented intrusion to the psyche is now a platitude. It's interesting to think, if we are adaptive creatures, how will we adapt is it impossible to close Pandora's door just a little? Do we try and take our devices away? No. Perhaps, like Stoics have said, we ought to focus on building the new over tearing down the old. Maybe we lose attention, but, but do we gain anything? I think it's safe to say that we do. What evidence do we have that we aren't currently evolving? We talk about becoming machines. Currently as humans, we witness that chimps, chimpanzees are beginning to use tools and have entered a new age for their species. If we had anyone to witness us and our behavior from an objective view, where would they put us on the evolution timeline going into the future? Are we going to peak? Is what we focus on going to change positively or negatively? It could be a lifetime to answer those questions. What we can do is hedge our bets and learn to focus better. Perhaps individually and together, we can decide what to focus on. Does this force us to focus harder? Excuse me. This time of great personal power would be a waste without the ability to focus, in my opinion. It's something I struggle with, as I'm sure many do. Today, we're going to learn a little from Daniel Goleman. He wrote a book, a little book, um, called Emotional Intelligence. This book that we're going to read from, though, is called Focus the hidden driver of excellence. This short passage is from the first chapter titled The Anatomy of Attention. He talks here about the basics. As a teenager, I got into the habit of listening to the string quartets of Bela Bartok, which I found slightly cacophonous, but still enjoyed. While doing my homework, he would listen to them. which I don't even know who that is. But anyway, somehow tuning out those discordant tones helped me focus on, say, the chemical equation for ammonium hydroxide. Years later, when I found myself writing articles on deadline for the New York Times, I remembered that early drill in ignoring Bartok. At the times, I labored away in the midst of a science desk, which in those years occupied a classroom-sized cavern into which 
were crammed desks for the dozen or so science journalists and a half dozen editors. There was always a Bartok-ish hum of cacophony. Nearby, there might be three or four people chatting. You'd overhear the near end of a phone conversation, or several, as reporters interviewed sources. Editors shouted from across the room to ask when an article would be ready for them. There were rarely, if ever, the sounds of silence. And yet we science writers, myself among them, would reliably deliver our ready-to-edit copy right on time, day after day. No one ever pleaded, everyone please be quiet, so we could concentrate. We all just redoubled our focus, tuning out the roar. That focus in the midst of the den indicates selective attention, the neural capacity to beam in on just one target while ignoring the staggering sea of incoming stimuli, each one a potential focus in itself. This is what William James, a founder of modern psychology, meant when he defined attention as the sudden taking possession of the mind in clear and vivid form of one of what seems several simultaneously possible objects or trains of thought. There are two main varieties of distractions, sensory and emotional. The sensory distractors are easy. As you've read these words, you're tuning out the blank margins surrounding this text. That would be me. Or notice for a moment the feeling of your tongue against your upper palate. Just one of an endless wave of incoming stimuli your brain weeds out from the continuous wash of background sounds, shapes, and colors, tastes, smells, sensations, and on and on. More daunting is the second variety of lures, emotionally loaded signals. While you might find it easy to concentrate on answering your email in the hubbub of your local coffee shop, if you should ever overhear someone mention your name, which is a potent emotional bait, it's almost impossible to tune out the voice that carries it. Your attention reflexively alerts to hear what is being said about you. Forget that email. The biggest challenge for even the most focused though, comes from the emotional turmoil of our lives, like a recent blow-up in a close relationship that keeps intruding into your thoughts. Such thoughts barge in for a good reason, to get us to think through what to do about what is upsetting us. The dividing line between fruitless rumination and productive reflection lies in whether or not we come up with tentative solutions or insight and then can let those distressing thoughts go. Or if, on the other hand, we just keep obsessing over the same loop of worry. I know I've done that. The more our focus gets disrupted, the worse we do. For instance, a test of how much college athletes are prone to having their concentration disrupted by anxiety correlates significantly with how well or poorly they perform in the upcoming season. The ability ability to stay at steady on one target and ignore everything else operates in the brain's prefrontal regions. Specialized circuitry in this area boosts the strength of incoming signals we want to concentrate on, like that email, and dampens down those we choose to ignore, those, like those people chattering away at the next table. Since focus demands we tune out our emotional distractions, Our neural wiring for selective attention includes that for inhibiting emotion. Uh, 
That means those who focus best are relatively immune to emotional turbulence, more able to stay unflappable in a crisis, and to keep on even I'm oh, sorry, to keep on an even keel despite life's emotional waves. Failure to drop one focus and move on to another can, for example, leave the mind lost in repeating loops of chronic anxiety. I've been there, and it's taken me, I don't know. I mean, it's only been in the past, let's say, year or so where I've really noticed it and been able to actively practice it. Before, it seemed like I just had this demon that just kept tormenting me every once in a while, and I didn't know what it was. And all I could think of was that it was just anxiety. Um, and I, of course, as a result, I couldn't focus at all. Back to the book. At clinical extremes, it means being lost in helplessness, hopelessness, and self-pity in depression, or panic and catastrophizing in anxiety disorders, or countless repetitions of ritualistic thoughts or acts, like touch the door 50 times before leaving, in obsessive compulsive disorder. The power to disengage our attention from one thing and move it to another is essential for well-being. The stronger our selective attention, the more powerfully we can stay absorbed in what we've chosen to do. Get swept away by a moving scene in a film or find powerful poetry passage exhilarating. Strong focus lets people lose themselves in YouTube or in their homework to the point of being oblivious to whatever tumult might be nearby or their parents calling them to come eat dinner. You can spot the focused folks at a party. They're able to immerse themselves in a conversation, their eyes locked on the other person as they stay fully absorbed in their words. Despite that speaker next to them blaring the Beastie Boys. This might be a, da a dated reference. I don't know. I don't listen to the Beastie Boys. Except, oh, what was that one song? Oh, Intergalactic Planetary. That song always made me laugh. Anyway, back to the book. The unfocused, in contrast, are in continual play, their eyes gravitating to whatever might grab them and their attention adrift. It's kind of funny how I go off into these little tangents and it almost seems unfocused. <laughs> it's actually kind of fun to just play with yourself. You're like, man, when am, am I actually just being distracted right now by talking about the things that I relate to? <sighs> I don't know. I suppose I'm being a little neurotic. Richard Davidson, a neuroscientist at the University of Wisconsin, names focus as one of a handful of essential life's abilities. Each based in a separate neural system that guides us through the turbulence of our inner lives, our relationships, and whatever challenges life brings. During sharp focus, Davis, Davidson finds, key circuitry in the prefrontal cortex gets into a synchronized state with the object of that beam of awareness, a state he calls phase locking. If people are focused on pressing a button each time they hear a certain tone, the electrical signal in their prefrontal area fire precisely in sync with the target sound. That's interesting. The better you focus, the stronger your, stronger your neural lock-in. But if instead of concentration, there's a jumble of thoughts, synchrony vanishes. Just a drop of synchrony marks people with attention deficit order. Disorder. We learn best with focused attention. As we focused on what we're learning, the brain maps that information on what we already know, making new neural connections. If you and a small toddler share attention towards something as you name it, the toddler learns the name. If her focus wanders as you say it, she won't. Interesting to know. For the parents out there, 
When our mind wanders off, our brain activates a host of brain circuits that chatter about things that have nothing to do with what we're trying to learn. Lacking focus, we store no crisp memory of what we're learning. Well, that's an interesting conclusion. When our mind wanders off, our brain activates a host of brain circuits that chatter about things that have nothing to do with what we're trying to learn. Lacking focus, we store no crisp memory of what we're learning. So folks, we got to learn how to, how to focus on things. And this is, uh, I think I'm going to do, I was going to do three parts, but I want to keep it as short as possible. Um, simply because the material is dense. So I could keep going on, but I'm not going to. Um, I want to make sure that this is concise. And then at some point we're going to discuss this. I think focus is one of the most difficult things that I have to encounter with my clients when I'm teaching people is making sure that I have their intention, their attention and that their body, like you can almost tell with their body language, how engaged they are by how well they're moving and whether or not they're synced up with, you know, their mind to their body. I guess that's your mind body connection that I'm trying to say. Anyway, I, I can definitely tell right away when someone's not fully there and they're not and they're not focusing at all. Um, you know, family issues or whatever's going on personally with them, it can make it definitely obvious. And that, that goes for energy levels too. So if you're not focused or you're not, um, you know, you could be emotionally drained, your performance will be will definitely falter. And so with this series, I hope to illuminate a little bit more about focus. And how to focus in this, well, what seems nefarious in terms of our attention, I think it's a net positive provided we use this tool, like a, dub, a double-edged sword. We can use it for good. And by that, I mean the internet and all the distractions that are around us. I mean, even just aside from the internet, that's just an easy lightning rod, I suppose. There's many distractions. I mean, some people will just clean their house when they should be doing A, B, or C. And so... Learning to focus is going to be tremendously valuable in your training. Just, and if not for your training, maybe just for life. Maybe you're very, um, maybe you're in tune all the time when you're training. Some people, that's just kind of where they go so that they can put their attention on something. Maybe that's what it is for you. But if not, I'm sure that this podcast and this series is going to be very valuable for you. So thank you very much for listening and, and tune in next week and I will have a new one for you. Thanks again. Have a good night or day. I don't know. And sorry if you heard people in the background. I have neighbors all over the place. Anyway, goodbye.